0: Hello and welcome to The Thing About Golf, a podcast series from Golf Australia magazine that seeks an answer to that unanswerable question. What is it about golf that gets people so hooked? My name's Rod Murray, and every couple of weeks I'm joined by someone from the world of golf to explore this bizarre phenomenon. From players to administrators, writers and those who are in the business of golf, all of our guests have one thing in common. For them, the game is much, much more than just a game. If you've been with us for a while, you'll know that professional golfers are probably overrepresented on our guest list. And when you think about it, that's not really a surprise. Not only are those who are obsessed with the game more likely to pursue it as a career, but they're often the people we already know a little bit about, thanks to their on-course achievements, and human curiosity means we want to know more. Our guest today ticks some of those boxes, though not all. Her name will be familiar to anybody with an interest in the history of the game in Australia. After all, she won the Australian Women's Amateur three times and was a member of the first Australian team to win what's now known as the Espirito Santo Trophy, the World Cup of amateur golf. But beyond that, most of us, me included, know almost nothing of Jane Locke. An LPGA Tour player from 1980 to 1986, her professional record never really reached the heights of her amateur achievements, but her contribution to the game in Australia should and cannot be overlooked. Jane is my favourite type of interview guest because she pulls no punches. She calls it as she sees it, and whether or not you agree with her, you always know that her view has been formed with integrity. So sit back and enjoy what I found to be a fascinating chat with one of Australia's best, Jane Locke. Jane, terrific of you to take some time. Really do appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to today's chat. Thanks very much for this.
1: My pleasure, Rod.
0: Will you say that now? Let's see how we're going.
1: <laughs> a bit Good point.
0: <laughs> when, we're, uh, when we're all done. Jane, the podcast is called The Thing About Golf. So that's our jumping off point. What's The Thing About Golf for Jane Locke?
1: Oh, it's many and varied over the years. Um, it was an obsession when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Then it became sort of a um, passion mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just playing and teaching. And then um, it sort of waned to the point where, look, there's lots of other things to do and I find i got a chance to do them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not that I won't go back, uh-huh. but I'm not playing much at all. Uh, well, you can't hear
2: no, that's you just <laughs> Jane's well, in Well, you
1: Mel- can in twos with masks, which yeah. everyone sees is very uncomfortable. Yeah,
0: yeah. Jane's in Melbourne, for those in my room. Oh, yeah, sorry a, about that. They've had a golf lockdown for for some time. They? A- is that what's brought on this sort of uh, less enthusiastic attitude or has that been happening for a while for you?
1: No, I've been like that for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Just because I've worked all my life, like most people, mm-hmm. and you get to a stage where you suddenly say, I don't have to um, – you get the opportunity to do things that you couldn't do uh-huh. before, or you couldn't do as much, and also having a choice. Mm.
0: And, of course, for most people, that thing that they go off to do when they retire is golf, Jane. But, of course, if yeah. you've played golf all your life, you need to look well, for something else. What are those interests for
1: you? Well, I'll put it to you this way. A nurse, when they retire, mm-hmm. they don't go to nursing for a hobby. No. So a lot of golf people like myself, mm-hmm. it's the hobby... You know, you still like it, but it's you just need a break. Yeah.
0: Yeah, indeed. So what are your other hobbies then? What does a golfer do? Because I suspect for a lot of people who played golf for most of their lives and at a high level as you have, there probably hasn't been a lot of hobby development on the side along the way through.
1: No. Well, I've developed a passion for Asian cooking, uh, but I read a lot, and that's born out of what I used to do when I traveled. You, you had hardcover books. No iPads, no iPhones. So you read at airports, hotels, you know, Mm -hmm. on the plane. Uh, And I still do that. I think that's something I've got from my mother. She was a voracious reader, and I would read about three or four books a week, I suppose.
0: Wow. What sort of books?
1: Oh, I'm just one of these escape people, Uh Murder Mysteries.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Let's bring it back to golf, Jane. I know shamefully little about your you and your career. And as I said to you when we were teeing up this interview, I think many people in golf are probably in the same boat. Yourself, Lindy Goggin, and Edwina Kennedy won a world championship, Australia's first women's world teams championship. And I suspect that we probably all recognize your names from that. But that's about as much as we know, and I don't think that that's right. So we want to explore a bunch of stuff today about the Jane Locke story. So let's go right back to the beginning. I listened to a really interesting oral history interview you did, I think it was about 12 years ago now, for the National Library. It's available on the internet if anybody wants to go and have a listen to it. And it was quite interesting the way you got started in golf. It wasn't sort of your first pick in terms of sport, was it?
1: No, 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 it wasn't. So tell us that story. How old were you? Fourteen. And? And... And We had a holiday house at Point Lonsdale, and uh, in the middle of winter, you couldn't really, when it was pouring with rain, you couldn't really go a few walks, you couldn't play tennis, you couldn't go swimming, you couldn't do anything. But my father disappeared off to golf every day, and, you know, he'd come back 7 o'clock at night wearing his sunglasses in the pitch dark so you know what they were doing after (laughs) golf. But he was playing a sport. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I thought, well, if you can play a sport in that sort of weather, I'm in. Yeah. So he, he set up an old blanket on the oh, tea tree clothesline we had out the back, and I thought he was being very generous, giving me a brand new forward, but it turns out that he couldn't hit it, so he gave it to me.
0: It's <laughs> a perfect club to pass
1: down. Exactly. If you, if you, you know, men's length, up, yeah. men's weight, uh-huh. thick grips.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: But, um, yeah, no, I had a real passion for it as soon as I started doing that.
0: Because you were all other sports, weren't you? You did tennis and netball and hockey, everything. You played everything, didn't you, prior to that? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Now, after learning how to hit into the, the blanket out the back, I'm sure that didn't keep you particularly engaged for a particularly long time. What was the journey to actual golf like then, then, for, for you?
1: Well, it's funny. We, girls' golf was much bigger, and there was a good system run by Bertaccini, who was the doyen of women's golf of her era Mm -hmm. uh, back in the 50s and 60s. And I used to play at Point Lonsdale and they used to have golf camp at Anglesey run by her and all the volunteers just before Christmas every year and that was for any handicap or no handicap. So I went to that and you graduate to the Flinders camp, which was held in the middle of winter at Flinders, which is right on the coast, uh, if you had a handicap of sorts. And you had to be invited to that one. Right. uh, Because we used to stay at the St Andrews Guesthouse right on the first hole, which is no longer there because uh, burnt down by fire. And um, I was, when I was 14 and just starting, my father being a member of Huntingdale, I couldn't join Huntingdale at that stage because they had a I think it was an eighteen I'm guessing here, eighteen years of age or sixteen years of age to be starting as a member or to join. So they just changed the rules to let me in because Berta was quite dominant figure and they listened to her. Mm-hmm. So I got joined Huntingdale at fourteen and I was already a member at Lonsdale. And at Lonsdale I could play walk up the road with my bag and buggy and play by myself and I had a couple of really nice old friends, and I'm they're probably younger than me now, that used to take me and play with me. But that wasn't enough for me because they didn't like playing in the heat. And when you're young, the heat doesn't bother you. No. It right. doesn't exist.
0: <laughs> Nothing and bothers I, you, does it, when you're young.
1: No. Nah, you, I look at people now and I think, oh, God, they're mad. But <laughs> um I was one of them and I used to go and play. I know one time I played – I played 72 holes in one day on my own, of course. Uh, But there weren't the crowds then, so you could do it, and it was obviously summertime. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was ridiculously obsessed.
0: If you did that in this day and age, uh, Jane, you would be doing it for charity and you would tweet out and Instagram about a 1,000 photos of yourself <laughs> doing it as you did because you'd be raised money. There is actually a world's longest day challenge that is exactly about 72 hours in a day. Oh, kid, is it? Kid, yes, kids around the world. I think it raises money for skin cancer awareness, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, uh, I think it's usually around this time of year. So, yeah, people will go through and play 72 hours in a day. But not people like you were then, people like we are now. He's <laughs> yeah. two holes a day, which is a bit more of an achievement. Uh, well, I, it's, it,
1: look, I only did it for myself. I didn't yeah, do it for cool. anything else or anyone.
0: Yeah, indeed. Now, around that time, I think you ended up going to that Flinders camp once you would got a handicap. And if I'm not mistaken, you said on this oral history piece, you dropped your handicap by a staggering sum in about a week.
1: Yeah. What was that about? Well, you go out and you play your you stable foot or whatever. And Remember, I was this was, I was 15 or 14. I can't yeah. remember exactly. And you put your card in at the end and Berta had come marching out with her cronies who were running and came and said, now who marked your card? I'm going, so-and-so. Now you sure this is right? I said, yeah. And I think I had net 60 or I had net 57 or 59 or something. Wow. I mean, i really have to look it up, but that's why she was questioning it because uh-huh. that's ridiculous. Of course it is. But I'd only just got my handicap under the... Car headlights of my father's falcon or whatever it was (laughs) on the 18th green of Point Onsdale the week before that camp because I had to do that to get my last card in for handicap. Uh So that gave me a 36 handicap, I think, Uh and I left that camp on, I don't know. I've been 19 or something. Like wow. That. I should have really looked it up before I spoke to you. Sorry about that. It
2: doesn't really
0: matter. Here's the thing, Jane. You could say whatever you wanted because I don't think anybody else is going to go looking it up or they'll know. So I think that meshes with what you said 12 years ago. So I'm going to say... That's uh, probably about right. It's an interesting timing golf, isn't it that beginner and you you see this. I used to cover an event called the thing was called the Lexus Cup at the time, then it became the Genesis Cup, which Golf Link used to run, and that was the it was a sort of an average. Long story short, but I used to have the win interview the winners each week, and it wasn't uncommon to come across young kids who would just taken up the game. And there's that extraordinary period at the start, isn't there, where you can go from twenty seven to 15 in the space of weeks if you play enough golf because the, your game is improving so rapidly. In many ways, it's probably the best time of golf, isn't it? Because yep. the better you get, the harder it is to get any better. The mm. journey really yeah. slows down, doesn't it? So,
1: Yep. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well. Uh, and also, golf courses were easier in those days. The equipment wasn't as good, no. so there's a balance there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But they were definitely easier.
0: Yeah, we'll come to all the equipment and some other things a little bit later <laughs> because i would be interested to get your views on some of that. You've played it at every level of the game all the way through. So, and, and you've played through a time period where we've seen enormous change in equipment. So that makes your views of more value than some other views of people who've never seen or played with at any level, uh, yeah. equipment of a bygone era. So I'm guessing you're obsessed at this stage. And what is golf to you? Is it just a recreation? Is it something you're considering you might do. What did the women's golf landscape look like? Was there press about women playing golf? Were there women golf stars for you to look up to locally or internationally? Can you recall?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm a reader, as I said. So when I got into the golf, I was fascinated. I wanted to know who I, who famous golfers were, women. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a very famous Queenslander by the name of Judith Percy and she won the Australian Championship I don't know how many times. But the story behind her was that she worked on a sheep farm and she lugged sheep on her shoulders around the farm all the time, and that's what she did to make enough money to be able to go and play in these things because the people like the Bertaccinis, the Patine Burgesses and these people, they were all born into money, so they didn't have to work. So, But because of them people like me could get into the game because they actually supported and encouraged women. Uh, The hierarchy of golf was always a bit very British, which didn't appeal to me. Um, But, look, in those days when I was playing 14, 15 through to the early 20s, the Melbourne Age and the Sun, the two big papers down here, They would cover all of our tournaments. There would be front page, back page photos of myself and other females. Uh, It was big, big news. I mean, my mother kept scrapbooks and I only had them out the other month or so ago because someone wanted to come round and look up the archives of them. And I couldn't even believe myself because I hadn't looked at them for 20 years, um, the amount of coverage we actually got. And, you know, you had Don Lawrence and Trevor Grant, Peg McMahon, and they're all top writers, Mm -hmm. Don having named Jack Nicholas the Golden Bear. So they were covering our tournaments. Even the Maram Cup, which is a three-, four-day event down at Barwon Heads, it's just sort of a local thing, the press would come to that. Now, these days, women's golf barely cracks a mention, Mm. and it's sad.
0: It was a different media time, wasn't it? Yes. At a time when newspapers dominated, and being an old newspaper person myself, they needed to be filled. Yes. And and particularly when newspapers were a much bigger item, where there was lots and lots and lots of ads, the number of ads would dictate the number of pages. So if you're the only game in town for advertisers, or the biggest game in town, Mm. which newspapers were for such a long time, then you had lots of pages to fill. And so that's exactly what you did. And it was to the betterment of everybody, I think. You could find a lot more stuff in newspapers. Now, of course, we have the endlessly, the bottomless pit that is digital media, the internet.
2: Mm,
0: But it's very difficult to be heard because you can put as much content on there, uh, there as you like and you're competing with the entire world for attention. What do you recall about your relationship in that case in those times with the press? That's a thing that's changed enormously in professional golf. And certainly with amateur golf, where, there, as you say, there's not much in the way of coverage. What was the relationship between the players and the press? I'm guessing you probably grew up knowing Don Lawrence, probably on a first-name well. basis.
1: Yeah. Don and I were good friends, but he had the personality to be good friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, Peg McMahon, we had a hot and cold, but that's because I'm female and so she. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm I'm not the goody two-shoes, I never was, but, um, and I speak my mind and, you know, that goes down about as well as a lead balloon sometimes. So <laughs> that didn't matter. We, uh, look, Peg and I, we'd, we'd have dinner. We'd do speaking engagements. Uh, same with uh, Don when he was alive. We'd be going to his place for dinner on a regular basis. So you, you actually had a friendship with some of them. Tom Ramsey, I can remember overseas, he was covering our um, Commonwealth team matches and yeah, you know, the whole stack of them. But you know, these these days, if someone wants an interview, um, they, they they sort of do it as you say. It's a, on the phone. It's not in person. Mm-hmm. So you can't get to know people to me, on
0: a phone. No, it's a very different sort of a thing, isn't it? It's one of the tragedies of the lockdown. When we started this podcast, one of the commitments I tried to make was that absolutely, as much as possible, the interviews would be done in person because interviews are better when they're done in person. And we were going quite nicely with all of that until (laughs) March, obviously, and then all sort of interviews in person kind of stopped, which was a real shame Uh, because I agree with you. It's a a shame.
1: It's a a challenge for you.
0: Yeah, well, there's a dynamic that you can't recreate on the phone, isn't it? When you're in the room together, there's body language and tone and inflection, things that you miss. You can't help but miss when you're talking through a device uh, that you can pick up on when you're in a room together. So we'll probably redo this episode after the whole COVID thing one day when we can sit in the same room, and that'll be nice.
1: That would be very
0: nice. It uh, It would be fantastic. As things are developing at this time for you, Jane, Clearly, you've shown some ability, uh, probably some above average ability. You've attracted probably a little bit of attention. Is your attitude towards the game changing? And and have you yet – a young player in your position at the age of 14, 15, 16 today probably would have been playing for a few more years already, it's, pro- it's yes. most likely. Yes, that's true. But they'd already be thinking to themselves LPGA, world domination, lots of money, maybe one day a private plane if we can get to that sort of level. Was that the sort of thing that – you, or, or was it still just a game and something you were doing for a bit of fun at the time?
1: No, I've always maintained that it was just a game. I wanted to play it. I was trying to get better, but for myself, not – championships didn't mean anything initially at all uh, until I didn't win a couple. So. <laughs> and right. then I thought, oh, I do want to win those. Mm-hmm. So, but no, it was purely because I liked doing it.
0: I wonder whether that's healthier. Hard to say. It might be different for different people, mightn't
1: it? Well, it is to me because I see a lot of the AIS, VIS, you know, kids these days. I know a couple of them quite well. And their attitude is it's it's a business. Mm -hmm. They're they're planning long-term, like you just said, which, look, there's nothing wrong with that. Everything encourages it
0: in this day and age, doesn't it, Jane? Including the amateur system is all built around creating elite players who will go on unquestionably to be professional. In fact, it would be more of a shock if an elite amateur player announced they weren't turning professional.
1: Yeah, which is the case with Lindy and Ed Edwina. Mm-hmm. They both, you know, could have turned professional and I have no doubt they would have done very well. But they chose otherwise, mm-hmm. which is a different era again. But I think the trouble with this boosting and pushing of the elite players, on one hand, that's great to get the elite, but it's at the expense of the grassroots. And that's what I'm seeing.
0: In what way? So governance of the game is obviously a major issue. Golf Australia mm-hmm. has gone through some real upheaval in recent years uh, since becoming Golf Australia, this whole push for one golf. New South Wales not a part of it. Western Australia not a part of it.
1: Well, we but- shouldn't be a part of it. That's my opinion. All right. Because as soon as you give all the power and the money to Golf Australia, which Victoria has done, mm-hmm. um, the first thing they tried to do was get rid of women's pennant. Now, women's pennant in Victoria – metropolitan pennant particularly is much bigger in the eyes of uh, mem- female members of golf clubs here than probably in most states i think that's true
0: uh, pennant or golf in melbourne generally I would say, yeah it is
1: and they're saying oh well you know we want to encourage elite young players well excuse me 90 percent of the golfers female the average age is not young They are the grassroots of the club they're the backbone. They enjoy their Friday pennant and their Sunday pennant, and they call it different names. And anyway, Golf Australia tried to get that through, and all the clubs were invited to send submissions via their committees. And fortunately, they had to back down and say, Oh, but yes, next year there will be a form of pennant and blah, blah. The exact details, I don't know. But this is, you know, how do you. And then on the other hand, they're turning around and saying, we want to encourage more women to play. Well, that's not the right way to go about it. You know, I just – I get so cross.
0: It, which is good, and that's what we want to hear. And, in fact, it's it's as things should be. And you mentioned before – let's come to this first. You mentioned before that you're sort of a straight talker, and certainly that interview <laughs> I listened to with you. I would imagine there's been times when that's been both helpful and a hindrance in your career. Oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> but I I don't – you know – why, why say yes to something that no is the only answer to? You know, there were times we supposedly have to bite your tongue. Well, why? If you see something that's not right, like kneel down before you tee off in the Canadian Amateur Championships in Winnipeg, Ontario, so they can measure the length of your skirt. Wow. What year was oh, that? please. What year was that, Jane? Uh, 80, I think. 80, 81. That's certainly my um,
0: generation. That's quite staggering,
1: isn't it? Mm. Oh well, try when we were in England. We went to St Andrews. We went to and All the you know superstar courses on the men's uh, British Open roster. We we're invited to play at the uh, <laughs> the Honourable. Company of Edinburgh Red gentlemen. Conference. Yes. They invited us to play, but we had to change in the broom closet. We turned up at the gates of Turnbury and drove in to the clubhouse, and they turned us back around and sent us to the, the ladies' little turnkey house at the front of the gates. I hated all of that. Mm-hmm. I think it
0: probably still goes on. It's still such a vexed issue, Jane. Now, Mm. I don't want to be impolite, but I must ask how old you are because however many years that you've been on the planet for, (laughs) what I'd like to know is why can't we figure this stuff out? Why is this men and women and these political issues, why do they continue to bubble away generations down the track? Uh,
1: There's a in my mind, there's two or three. The biggest one, there's still more men playing golf and more members, male members of clubs, so they dominate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know of, I think it is Edwina's club in Sydney, the Australian, they can't vote for anything. Women. And that's, that's so backward, it doesn't matter.
0: I thought that was actually made illegal. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I thought that was actually a now against the law to discriminate
1: in that way. Yeah, well, and it also... Uh, because of the imbalance of numbers, and it's always going to be thus, uh, that's why women have women's committees so that they can run their events and everyone's happy about it. Basically, women don't want to play with men and men don't want to play with women in a, In that situation. The blokes want to go out on Saturday and play with their mates and whatever other day of the week they have is a defined male day and the women are the same. And there's nothing wrong with that because they do play in mixed events and they do play together on other days. But... You know, competition days, they've ruined that, I think, at our club and other clubs, whereby, yeah, they've had for some, probably 12 months now, maybe more, that you're playing in the same comp as the men, and the women's tees are about a foot in front of the men's tees. So the scores are going to be all in favour of the males. And I, I'm a big believer in this 80 20 theory where, you know, we, the, the strength of women is much less than a man and therefore you have should have the T's uh, set up in that ratio of 80% strength so the yardage is a more comparable, meaning if a hole is designed for a man to hit a wedge into a par 5, women should be in the same situation, the average woman. But generally speaking, you'll find most women are hitting fairway woods or rescues. So that's where it's all gone. Fun. I think the golf courses um, are far too hard now for women particularly because they're designed by men. I've done some consultation work with Mike over the years, uh, with um, Tony Cashmore. I've done a few private ones and tried to set up the courses, but in the end, That's not a lot of courses. And Mike, you can quote me on this, Mike did say to me once when we were walking around one course down here in Melbourne as to where, you know, should they put the women's tees because he said, I just don't understand how women hit it or how far they don't hit it, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a fair comment. So there should be more consultation with women, the average women, about how a golf course for them via the T situation should be set up, but it's not happening.
0: I want, like everything, it's like a hairball, isn't it? You, you tug, tug one hair on this side and you open up a whole bunch of issues on the other. Broadly speaking is the notion that everybody on the golf course are actually just golfers, be they men, women, kids, senior citizens, whatever it is, and that done right, I think what you're talking about is core setup up issues. mm mm-hmm. Mm. is more of a, is more of the problem there the the, is the the broad concept to me seems much more sensible where there is a golf competition and anybody can come and play in it this is the notion of this world handicapping system where each set of tees can be rated independently and people can play competition and the handicaps will sort themselves out and and that we'll all be able to play one big pool of competition generally speaking do you think that's a good idea going wrong around the edges with course setup, or do you think that things should be separate still?
1: Uh, unless they get the formula right, which they haven't, in my opinion, uh, that doesn't work. It's been proven not to work. They they call it a medley comp where you know everyone's in the same comp, but it's inequitable. The, the women, you know, they pay their fees, the same fees for whatever rating membership they've got, and they should have the same opportunities, but. With the way the courses are set up and the handicap system doesn't make an allowance for that, so they haven't got the system right. Now, if they get the system right, hey, that's fabulous. But that ain't happened yet. Mm. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm pretty sure that that's the, that's the goal. You might be right. We might not be there yet, but the, yeah, I the goal, I know it's is the goal to it, make it equitable. It's nowhere
1: near there for. Uh
0: do we take golf too seriously sometimes, Jane? This, these yes. whole, and, and we can have hours and hours of conversations about the handicapping system and all. In fact, having worked at GolfLink, I've seen the seven and eight page emails that come in there from retired mathematicians who've come up <laughs> with a better way to do the whole
1: thing oh, right. than
0: what already exists. So we can spend hours talking about that and course it,
1: it, it's circle work.
0: Yeah, 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 and and ultimately, actually, it doesn't matter, does it? You play by the no. handicap that's printed on the card. You do your very best when it's over, <laughs> you go and have a drink. That's kind of what it should be, shouldn't it? So,
1: Well, that's why I like social golf. I mean, I'm a member at Q, but I'm also an honorary member at Huntingdale and 13th Beach, and I'm a member at Anglesey. Uh, you know, you can, I can play any of those courses if I like, mm-hmm. but not in competition. I'd rather play those courses socially with my friends rather than, go into a competition, I've been there, done that, and that's where my attitude these days is very different. Um, I've had to go back and, not had to, but I was requested, forcibly sort of thing, by my friends to play pennant a couple of times over the last couple of years because we'd lack the numbers to fill the teams because we're losing members, because the women are getting older, they go out of the golf club, they play bridge, and we're not replacing them with more women because... Women aren't still overall totally welcomed in golf clubs. There's still this uh, male dominance, you know, I think they'd rather have us making hot cross buns on Good Friday. (laughs) And I've had that said to me.
0: My goodness. Well, wow. Uh,
1: So it's still there. So that's why i just rather go social golf, forget competitions, you know, nothing else to do, more fun.
0: Interesting. Do you play much? As you said, you're interested in sort of weighing, but sort of how much are you playing compared to maybe 10 years ago perhaps?
1: Well, hardly at all. I haven't played for a couple of years, maybe one or two games or nine holes here and there. But that's because, as I said, I've been doing other things. For instance, at Anglesey we have kangaroos on the golf course and some uh, members there thought of the idea of doing route tours for visitors.
0: Thank God so for a moment. I thought you were going to say you were shooting them.
1: No, <laughs> no. we a golf We've been taking <laughs> – they've right. been making thousands of dollars by taking Is that right? two carts out in the morning and the afternoon in summer, all volunteers from the golf club doing the driving and talking about the kangaroos, take them out to where the, the mobs are. Wow. And I've been <clears> – <throat> excuse me, I've been doing that for – two years or so.
0: That can't be right, Jane, because this is golf and that's innovation. Those two things don't go together.
1: I reckon country courses get it better. I do too.
0: Well, they're forced to, aren't they? Really. They don't have the funds, do they?
1: That's right. So
0: there's a famous old saying in golf, you know, they didn't have enough money to bugger it up.
1: (laughs) No. And also, when I was a kid, the interstate and national teams were majority made up of country kids, mm-hmm. because they were allowed on golf courses. There's an access the city. issue.
0: That's right. It's an access issue, isn't it? Uh, which I think yeah. is probably still, still the case to this day. I wonder whether the motivations for a lot of younger people getting involved in the game have changed. You can't help but look at the professional game, particularly the men's game, but also the women's game, which lags an awful long way behind, but those women who are at the top of the game are still doing very well financially. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Not in comparison, but they're making more than golf riders, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, which is as it, uh, as it should be. I wonder whether the motivations have changed for young people coming in. Did you see anything along those lines as your career developed? You told us that for you it was just you just wanted to play and then at some point I imagine if you've got the sort of talent you have, there's nothing left to do in amateur golf. There's no point not turning professional. That's I imagine that, that there comes a time and you can tell us whether that was the case for you or not. But do you see a change in the reasons that young people perhaps start to pursue golf?
1: You're right about there comes a time when you've won everything and there's no more challenges available So and you wanted another challenge or you, you went and did something else. Um, that's, you know, that's what happened. But these days, look, you know, if I was 14 or 15 now, I certainly wouldn't have chosen golf. I'd be playing soccer. I'd be playing cricket, football because they weren't available for us. Mm-hmm. In those days, so with the kids these days, you know, I think the choices of sports are much greater for them. And I don't know. I don't think as many take on the role of professional golf because you've got to leave this country, and that's a big, big ask. Mm-hmm. There's no real circuit. I mean, they used to have a summer circuit of you know, uh, pro-ams around the eastern seaboard, which was very popular. But, um the men have you know they they can do lots of tournaments like the Tropo Circuit up in Queensland., uh, but there isn't that much available for the women, so they've got one choice only, and that's to go professional and play either in Asia, Europe, or America. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, getting onto those tours. It's well. I mean, I chose America. I'd rather have chosen Japan, but in those days, and I don't know if it's the case now, the qualification rules were so stringent, it was almost impossible to get on. It's so not so those different. players that did go on to the Japanese tour, I take my hat off to them.
2: Yeah.
0: If I'm not mistaken, Karis Davidson, who plays in Japan, if I'm not mistaken, she's still under a... I think it was a one- or a two-year requirement that everywhere she travelled, she had to take a translator paid for at her expense because she didn't speak the language. And I think that's quite common for international players. It's a very closed shop. It might be, aside from the men's senior tour, which they like to call the Champions Tour now, or the PGA Tour Champions, to be correct. So we deliberately Mm -hmm. don't call it that. That might be the most closed golf circuit in the world. Paul Laurie won the Open in 99, can't get a start on the Champions Tour. Really? So there's the misnomer. Yeah, can't get a start on the Champions Tour. So there's a misnomer there. And I mm-hmm. think probably the second most closed shop in terms of uh, golf circuits is probably the Women's Japan Tour. Um, yeah. Which is yeah. very much so. Because, of course, golf in Japan for women is much bigger, and the same in South Korea. It's a much bigger professional entity than the men's game.
1: Oh, look, even when we used to go over there at the end of the LPGA season in November, October and November we go for two week two tournaments in Japan everything was paid for which was great because it's so expensive um, but they had the American president visiting Tokyo uh, on one of the days we had to go out and play golf and all the courses are in the country so it was an hour or two drive on the bus but we had to catch the train this day well I was travelling with one of the Japanese superstars, and everyone on the train recognised it going and coming mm-hmm. and in the streets. Extraordinary. And that was way back then, in, yeah. the, in the 80s.
0: Yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think there's, I don't think it's twice as many, but there's certainly more women's events on their tour mm-hmm. in Japan than the men's events on the men's Japanese tour. Oh, is it?
2: And, no, yeah, didn't and, and, know in,
0: that. and in Korea, most definitely by far the more popular of the two games is the women's game. Uh, we spoke to Dean Hurden, who's been caddying up there for a long time. He's caddied for a lot of South Korean players, and he said the quality of the players coming out and the and the, the the profile of the players within Korea. He said, you know, quite a few of them choose not to go to America because they don't need yeah. to. And nah. to be honest with you, Australians should understand that. Why would you go to America? And why would Americans come here if they can stay at home and make mm. five, six, seven million bucks a year playing is golf it? in their own backyard? It's just the most sensible thing to do, is Well, isn't
1: it's it? also the, um, the language. Yeah. Barrier too. Yeah, it is much easier, isn't it, to, uh,
0: yeah. to avoid. You mentioned the – and I, I did note, by the way, that you very neatly dodged the age question. So well <laughs> done for that. You didn't completely get away with it, but I'm going to let you off the hook if you don't want to tell us that's fine. Oh, no. That no, could... I just had a birthday and I just
1: turned 66. So oh, congratulations
0: crap. and happy birthday. Thank you very much. You mentioned the LPGA. You went and played the LPGA. I'm going to say you went probably around 1980-ish. 81. Uh,
1: 81.
0: And I haven't mentioned, of course, three Australian women's amateurs you won before that and three Australian junior girls' amateurs. One year you won the both of them in the same. So you certainly had the credentials to think about turning professional and pursuing a professional career. So you did that. We'll come back to some of the amateur stuff later. What was America like? What was the LPGA like in sort of 1980? Were you happy? I mean, you said you'd preferred to go to Japan. Why would you have preferred Japan? How did you find America? Not everybody loves America when
1: they Mm. Um. Look, it was work. It wasn't there for pleasure. Uh, it was a pretty – it wasn't a closed shop, but it was fairly closed. And when you're a newbie on the block, on the LPGO, meaning women, uh, you've got to sort of earn your position.
0: Was it bitchy? Oh,
1: yeah. The men well, are bitchy. Well, men what men are group of women are not bitchy?
0: Well, people are bitchy, I'll be completely honest with you. Generally,
1: yeah. But, <laughs> men, I mean, men are not so different. much that they're, they're sort of cliques. Yeah. There's the Bible group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were very – I mean, they are very polite in that, but being an Australian and you're playing with one of the girls who's fairly religious uh, and you've just had a triple bogey or something, and you say, bloody hell, <laughs> you know, of course we're now we're blaspheming yep. the Lord and this is in the middle of a tournament. Golf. So there are same, there's some strange things. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, this I knew a lot of those girls when they were amateurs, when we played amateur golf, world championships, and we were really good friends, but once you're on the, the LPGA, it's sort of like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> it's eat dog, dog, isn't it? Who who are we talking yeah. about? Who are the names we might recognise from that era? Who were the sort of the oh, big stars of the
1: game? Well, the superstar that I didn't play with much, except on the LPGA, was Joanne Karner,
2: mm-hmm. what
1: a Uh Beth Daniel, Amy Alcott. Um, oh, there's a whole stack of them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh, what's her name? Lopez. Nancy. Oh. She was, uh, well, she retired from golf, but she was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
0: Sort of the sevy of the, the women's game there, the wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. Charismatic, dominant. Won yeah, incredible. And a shy, humble, that rare thing, a genuinely shy and humble champion. Um, mm. Had an extraordinary gift, clearly.
1: Well, well she was amazing. I remember uh, being paired with her based on our scores for the third round in. I think it was Portland, and, I mean, she was really nice. She was one of the nicest. Nancy was one of the nicest people you could meet. But I hit a nice drive down the first, and she sort of almost hit a worm raper down the first, and I thought, oh, that's not good. But she was still 30 metres ahead of me. I've hit a nice shot into the f- first green, but I was a club short, so I'm at the front, the pins at the back. She scunged it out to the right pin high and then chips in an i3 putt <laughs> and that was the entire day's story uh, but there's someone who knows how to make a score when she's just not having the best day that's, the
0: that's sto- how good she was that's the story of golf though isn't it jane that is mm, really sometimes. golf. Isn't it? i'm sure you've had those days too probably in the company of somebody who looked up to you and thought she can't be that much better than me i'm a good player and then you've done that to them and they thought yeah. the same thing you did about nancy you've got some probably. special magical gift that you've mm-hmm. been given—it's not fair. It's not a fair
1: fight, is it? It's nice to be lucky. I mean, I never found golf hard. I wasn't a great practicer, as you would find many of my captains and managers over the years pulling their hair out because I didn't. I enjoyed like the competition, match play, mm-hmm. and I remember we were at Royal Sydney playing. I think it was the um, Australia Japan series or something like that. And we'd have a hit. And on the practice fairway, I was shocking. The balls were going every which way. And my captain, who was Joan Fisher at the stage, told me later that she considered not even playing me that day because I was so bad on the practice fairway. But I played really well on the course. So, you know, and we're all different.
0: Y- indeed. And, of course, this is, a, this is a real trap for young players, the practice conundrum, isn't it? Because yes. if you go to a professional tournament, You will find somebody on the range at 7am and guaranteed that that same person will be on the range at 5pm having played in between. And if you're a young professional, particularly if that person is successful, the easy thing to think, isn't it? Well, it works for them. That's what I have to
1: do. Yeah. Well, you've got a person like Vijay Singh who spent his life on the practice fairway, Mm -hmm. morning, noon and night. But it doesn't suit everybody. I mean, there are probably tons of examples of great professionals over the years who hardly ever practice. They just, you know, have a hit and get out there and do their stuff.
0: Laura Davies is one who springs to mind.
1: She's not interested in that stuff. No. She's interested in what she does, how she does it, how she goes about it, and I think that's, that's the best way to be. But, you know, in the modern world, things change. As soon as a new club or a new teacher comes out, with a new concept, everyone's into it. It's all about money.
0: Are there new concepts, Jane? Does Jane Locke's golf swing of the 70s still stand up today? Could Jane still be a player today and successful? No.
1: Look, when we won the – Edwina, Lindy and I, when we won the World Championship for the first time in 78, I think it was, uh, that was great. They had a party at Victoria Golf Club. Then a few years later, uh, I can't think of Vicky Thomas and – the other two girls that then won the World Championship for Australia for the second time, were invited to that same cocktail party to celebrate their win. We had a photo taken, them with us, and it was like looking at giants, though big, strong, muscular, tall girls, and we're all tiny little things. So, you know, it's a different world. They're all into it, in the fitness and the length, the length they hit it these days is ridiculous.
0: Would you have been like that? Would you have preferred no. to play in this modern era? You said you were a sporty no. girl as a kid?
1: Yeah, no, because no. that means work. <laughs> Go to the gym. <laughs>
0: first first problem forbid. right there, uh, having to uh, having to do some sort of work. So, so how did you play the game? What were the strengths of your game? And I'm interested in the equipment you played at the time as well. I was staggered to find out that Jan Stevenson carried and used a two-iron and, in fact, hit one of her most crucial shots with a two-iron when she won the US Open in, I'm going to say, 83. Um,
1: that would have been at Sacramento, I think, in California.
0: Yeah, 17th hole. Perhaps she had a two-iron to a par five, I think she told me. Yeah. But the point being, you could not find a two-iron on the women's tour, I don't think. If you, like. I think Angel Yin might carry one. And mm. I don't reckon you'd have much luck like finding a two-iron on the men's tour. In this no, either.
1: No, well, I, I, because that's all there was mm-hmm. a two iron through, you know, your sand wedge. Not a choice of 16,000 wedges with 17 lofts. and uh, But I remember that Sacramento tournament was the most beautiful golf course, and the practice fair was beautiful. So I thought after the first practice round, because, you know, US Opens are long courses, mm-hmm. they're massively long, and I wasn't a big hitter. So I had to spend a couple of hours that evening hitting my two-iron so I could get, you know, some sort of confidence in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Murphy's Law, I didn't hit it once the next day. (laughs) But my strength was my short game. I was accurate. Mm -hmm. My short game was good and my putting was good and that was it.
0: Is that a better, more entertaining, more skillful Game than the game we see today. We look at some of the power players even in women's golf today and there's some staggering club head speeds. I watched Maria Mm -hmm. Fassi up close here in Australia earlier this year and, my goodness, (laughs) she generates some amazing club head speeds. She doesn't really yet have full control of it, I don't think. Mm -hmm. But when she does, uh, my goodness, what a force she will be. Is one more entertaining than the other? There's no question we've moved to a power game, particularly in men's golf, and it seems Mm. to be a direction we're heading with women's golf as well. Is it a more entertaining game, just different? What's your take on the modern?
1: Uh, My preference is the short game is more interesting, but that's me. Mm. Um, It's a bit like when tennis went to hard court away from Kooyong, which was grass. It lost its entertainment value for me. There were the skilled didn't seem the same because they didn't have to play a bigger variety of shots, and I think it's a bit the same here. I'd rather, when I go out to watch the women's open at uh, 13th Beach or the Australian women's open, wherever it will be, whenever, um, I'll go and watch them in the bunkers or the chipping green, you know. I don't want to see them hit the ball 500 miles.
0: And do you still go and watch... 13th Beach, of course, you had a hand in the design. You mentioned that. We'll get you to flesh that out for just a Just the women's
1: tees, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, but do you, so you still do go and watch some of the yeah. top players? You've still got an interest in?
1: Yeah, as long as it's not too crowded. I went to the Women's British Open a few years ago uh, at Liverpool, and, of course, it's a really small course, so yes. there's spectators everywhere and you couldn't move. So I don't like watching golf that way. I like to see with the space, and that's where 13th Beach really worked out.
0: Oh, it's a fantastic event, that Vic Open, isn't it? That, that, that ability to walk with the players. That would have been the mm. norm, I'd imagine, when you played, perhaps not so in America, but I would imagine here in Australia it would have been the norm to have the crowds walk the fairways with you at tournaments
1: uh, here in Australia. They no? did walk the fairways, but the crowds were so big, and I'm not exaggerating because so we've got photos and video of it, that they had to go into the pro shop or the worksheds and get ropes, so that they could keep them away from oh, us, okay. yeah. where, where far was, like, enough
0: away. Here in Australia, you're talking about
1: that was a Victoria Golf Club,
0: right? And what you that what, was just
1: for that was just for the Victorian Amateur Championship,
0: right? Oh wow, okay, <laughs> goodness me,
1: uh,
0: pine for that sort of crowd in this day and age, wouldn't we? Um, mm, you know, mm. That sort of said, uh, because that, that that Vic Open, one of the great potential tragedies of the Vic Open is that it'll become a victim of its own success, and when you get a certain level of player tee up, which they're not far from having. It becomes almost necessary to have the ropes back in place, doesn't it? Whereas, yeah.
1: and that's when you lose the interest factor that's right. because it's yeah. the novelty factor is still there. While yes. that's <laughs> excuse me, that's still going on. Yeah. Um, but having the space and the, the style and setup of those two golf courses, the trees are not there as an impediment. You get plenty of viewing areas. But one, once you stop them walking with the players, yeah. You've, you've lost. That's that. right.
0: What's made it unique and built yeah. it to the point where yeah. it uh, where it is. Yeah, there's a well, – we give the authorities in the game and the organisers a lot of kicking over the time, but there's an example where they've got it 100% right at the moment. Absolutely. I think it's been a fantastic – what a revelation. And internationally, people are, are trying to copy it. And it would have been very easy for that not to happen because the first one, of course, was held in suburban Melbourne where they had the combined fields and it would have been very easy after that event to say, oh, look, it was interesting, but it didn't really work and go back to doing the norm. But they put their thinking caps on and they took it regional and, as we can see, within eight years, it's now a European tour and an LPGA event, which I don't think anybody would have envisaged in 2012 Mm. when it kicked off. I hope you're finding this discussion as compelling as I did, and I can recommend sticking around for the rest of it. But before we get back to Jane, this is the part of the show where I remind you that if you haven't already done so, you really should sign up as a subscriber. Now, it's free. The word subscription kind of muddies the waters a bit, but it is free. And what it means is you'll never miss an episode of the show because they'll be automatically delivered to your phone, your tablet, your laptop, whatever device you've decided to subscribe on. That happens as soon as the show is released. Now, the big players in this area are Apple Podcasts. They're found on every Apple device, iPad, iPhone, and on uh, Apple computers. Spotify, which most people know for their music, and Google Podcasts, which are available on any uh, device that you care to choose. The show's available on all of those. If you're a more advanced podcast listener and you prefer one of the other multitude of apps out there, I don't need to tell you how you can find us on those. I do need to tell you, however, how to find us for both feedback and feedback and to access the back catalogue. Getting in touch is easy. You can track me down directly on Twitter at, at rod underscore That's M for Mary O W R I. My direct messages are open, so you can send me something without me needing to follow you. Alternatively you can send an email either direct to me, rod at talkengolf.com, just the one G in Talk and Golf, or you can send one direct to the magazine golf at Golf Australia com.au. Now, if you're new here and you want to have a flick through the archive of past episodes, the easiest way is to become a subscriber, as I described above. But if you don't want to do that, simply head to the magazine website at golfaustralia.com.au. Scan along the top, you'll see the podcast tab. Click on that and you'll find all of the back catalogue available on that page. There's some good stuff in there. And if you're enjoying this, then I'm pretty certain you'll enjoy much of what you'll find there also. That's enough of the admin. Let's get back. To Jane Locke, do you still stay in touch with many of the players? I know that you did a lot of years of teaching at Baleen. Mm-hmm. Do you still do any teaching at Boleyn? No, nope. I'm retired. Uh, so you do none at all. Right, fantastic. No, nope. it's and great. You said those years ago your preference was to work with sort of beginners, um, yes. sort of amateur players. Did you, get yes. to, did you work with over the years? Because by accident you can't help it. At some point a beginner is going to walk in, aren't they, Jane, who is good? Yeah. And you won't, you won't be able to avoid it whether you want to or not. They're going to go on to become a very good player and you're going to be their coach. Did that well, happen I've for Well, I've
1: had you? a lot of those over the years. But it's it's interesting. The politics that have been made members uh, of private golf clubs through family mm-hmm. and the local professional of that club has initially taught them. But they've come to me and they said, look, I can't. They then, you know, they've been promising and they've done well and they've won things and they've rung and said, look, I want to thank you for your help but I just didn't want to, you know, embarrass my club pro and there's a lot of that. And I said, look, I don't live off that anymore. What you do is fine and I'm glad to have been part of it. So you, you, you do things sort of by subversion in a way. Yeah. But the real fun is the the real beginners who don't become anybody. They just go out and play, not very well, and never will.
0: And they're the real golfers in in truth, aren't they, globally? Yeah. They're the bulk of people by far.
1: Well, it's like I had one woman many years ago. She could barely hit it 10 or 15 feet, and it was always along the ground. And one day she got one ball to go up in the air, and this is after I don't know how many lessons, and she was – so excited, just absolutely over the moon, and I, uh, that's that's what you teach for. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you just think pleasure they yeah. get
2: because,
0: of course, Tiger can only get that joy from winning another Masters, can't he? <laughs> it's the truth, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a different level of expectation, yes.
0: and it's a different exp- it's it's a different reward system of what's of what is good, isn't it? When you first start, yeah. it's absolutely true. Just getting the ball in the air is an enormous victory.
1: It's all relative. Yeah. It's like when you at school. I always said this to my beginners. I said, look, you don't, when you're in first form and you've got a, an exam, it's just as important as an exam as the ones in the last year of school. They're all important. Mm-hmm. So the the level, you know, saying to people, oh, that's nothing, it's only first form, it's not much. Well, It was. It's huge. And sets, it's the
0: same in golf. Sets a pattern, doesn't it? Um, yeah. For, yeah. For for success or otherwise for the rest of yeah. of what's to follow with that pursuit. I want to talk about some of the highlights of the game for you. Uh, Jane, and I would imagine that winning the Australian Women's Amateur three times would be a highlight. I'll be surprised if you told me otherwise. So I wouldn't mind getting just some quick thoughts from you about those. I feel like winning, in fact, winning the Australian Girls Junior Amateur Champion three times would have been a a real highlight as well, and I know that you did both in the same year, one of Mm -hmm. those years. It feels like amateur golf or amateur victories were much bigger and more important in the 70s than they perhaps are today. Would you go along with that?
1: Yep. Definitely.
0: Yeah.
1: So I mean, I my first tournament was the Victorian Junior Championships, and believe it or not, the first one I played was at Royal Melbourne West. Mm-hmm. So I was spoiled.
2: Well, yeah.
1: And in those days, the bunkers, fairway bunkers, you had a choice of what you could play out of them. It's not oh, it's only a wedge. They weren't all, you know, deep bomb craters. Mm-hmm. And that winning, I won that. And I won five
0: in a row. How old were you? I was too old. How old was the first one when you won the first one? Uh,
1: 15, I think. So you took up the game at 14 and you won the Victorian
0: Junior at 15? I think. That's sickening, Jane. There are those of us who spend our whole lives and never get better than (laughs) double digits, and you've spent 12 months at it and you've beat every other good golfer in the state.
1: Well, just lucky. You're either, look, you're born with it or you're not, I suppose. I think you're right Some people that. work their tails off mm-hmm. and achieve success. And I suppose I did in my way, but not the practice fairway way. Mm-hmm.
0: 72 holes in a day.
1: I wish I could still do it, well, but
0: that'd be wonderful. there's
1: no room on the golf courses.
0: <laughs> no, that's exactly – well, pre-COVID there was probably a few courses where it might have been possible, but certainly COVID has done golf an enormous mm. favour in the sense of participation. You can't get a tee time for love nor money in Sydney.
1: No. On a no, I can believe that. Um, uh, it's a bit the same here in Melbourne. They had a, a bit of a push from some of the private clubs uh, against Mr. Andrews, who's a, an avid golfer. He is. That's right. Um, to open up the golf courses. And I, I agree with it because it's an outdoor activity. Mm. You're not going to be – I mean, your ball is always going to go this way. Someone else's ball is going to go that way. You're not going to be down the middle on top of each other, I've, I've never seen the logic behind that. They can't use the clubhouse and that's fine. Mm.
0: Yes, contentious is, I think, how we would describe that. So back to, we, I started you on this road and then I interrupted you and took you elsewhere. How did you like America?
1: Mm. Look, I met a lot of good people. We used to stay in private housing, which is billeting here, mm-hmm. um, and you, you do meet a lot of good people. And the, most of them are retired and rich and live on or near the golf course, mm-hmm. so that was handy. Uh, but I like playing the, the tournaments. I, You know, I got used to my own company, so I didn't mind sitting in airports trying to figure out who all the other people were in the waiting area, what they did for a living and reading and you know, I, hotels drove me nuts. I think – I think I still would have preferred to go to Japan
2: because
1: mm-hmm. I like languages. Not that I could learn Japanese very well, but I could vaguely get by.
0: I reckon you could have if you'd set your mind to it. If you're a reader especially, I think Yeah. that's the kind of mind that will turn itself to and a very difficult second language to learn, an Asian language, co- completely oh. foreign sounds and tongue well, movements Well, there's so many English.
1: different levels of Japanese. Yeah. A friend of mine, a French friend of mine was studying Japanese from, oh, First year in high school, and uh, when she went over there to work, she was about the fourth from the bottom in terms of who she could speak to in Japanese. In terms of authority, businessmen, corporations, etc., right. and she was fluent.
0: Would that have interested you? A whole different culture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, with this lockdown, oh, we you know we had a trip planned to go to the states. Funny enough, because um, we'd been to a few other places and there were a few things that, you know, you could see over there. There's a lot of good places to see, but I wouldn't be going back there now not for the next several years, so I'd rather go back to Asia again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Because it's always, terrible. of course, what people don't realise about professional golf is that it's a lot of airports and hotels, isn't it? It's not yeah. like travelling the way people who work nine to five for a living and they have their two or four weeks holiday and they get on mm. a plane and they go somewhere and they have a – that's not that kind of travel, is it? <laughs> it's a, it's a well, completely different Well, no. I
1: mean, you, you, the system is basically if you're the average player on the tour, which I was, you basically – you arrive uh, from one tournament – or you fly it on a Sunday afternoon with a corporation like um, Linoleum Corporation, their jet would take you to a golf course to play a pro-am on the Monday for which you're paid. Then they'd fly you to where the next tournament site was. That's Tuesday morning you uh, have got your first practice round, but you've got to wash clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the pro-am on Wednesday, and you have to go to the pro-am dinner because of the sponsors. Then there's Thursday, Friday. If you make the cut, you've got to play Saturday, Sunday, and the whole cycle goes on again. Now, if you don't make the cut, you've got to, A, be able to cover your expenses for the next week because the prize money wasn't that big, but it's all relative to the times. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're not earning money. If you don't make the cut, you don't make money.
0: It's, It's the wrong way to describe it, but in many ways you're like a performing monkey, aren't you?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. That's why um, there's a friend of mine who recently passed away said, uh, Ian Stanley, uh, he just announced to everybody at this big function, the Hall of Fame dinner, "I don't know, I wanted to present this to you, Jane. You become a hermit. <laughs> just, I'm basically, yeah, I, I like my own company, I've got my own group of friends and I don't like cocktail parties and social gatherings, because that's what we had to do all the time, amateur and pro. So that's why I balk at going to all these things and much more pleasurable.
0: It's the entertainer's dilemma, isn't it, really, is that you rely 100% on the entertainment you can provide to mm. keep the to keep the lifestyle alive, and at some point that balance can get out of whack. Mm. Is there an element of John Huggard? I don't know whether you know John. John's a good friend of Clayton's and one, probably one of the best golf riders in the world. We've had him on the show as well. He's a terrific fella, John. But he's sort of got a saying, love the game, hate the people. And John he, who? John Huggan. He's a Scottish golf player no. Uh, no, I don't know uh, him. As he says, hate is too strong a word. But is that a sentiment that makes sense to you, love the game, hate the show that goes with it?
1: Yeah, that, that, that would pretty much be putting it the way I would. I think that's a very eloquent way of putting it.
2: Mm.
0: Because the game itself never stops being – if you've got the sickness, and I suspect you have – the game itself never stops being – it's always true to you, isn't it? It never lets you down. No. It's all the stuff around golf that lets you down, isn't it?
1: Yeah. The simplicity has gone out of golf. It's—it's it's, There's too many rules. You know, you've know, got to wear this. You've got to do that. You can't play here. You can't play there. Uh, hurry up. You've got to stopwatch on you. These things have only come in in the last 20 years, uh, and that's just the sheer numbers. But, see, in Victoria – I think we're lucky that we've got a lot of pay-for-play courses mm-hmm. so the time poor can get out there and don't have to pay thousands of dollars in membership fees each year or the joining fee for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the way to go. I mean, I can you know, get in the car on a normal time, drive down the Bellarine Peninsula or the Mornington Peninsula and just play Six, seven different golf courses, and there's still more to play, and they're all good. Which is, and it doesn't—it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg.
0: No, golf's extremely affordable in this country. You would have seen in America. Tell some of the Australian listeners what golf costs in
1: America, Jane. Well, <laughs> not all fortunately, golf. Fortunately, I didn't have to pay, no, but of I've, I've heard a few stories when I was there. Uh, so, with inflation, it'll be more. But you're looking at. Like Pebble Beach places like that, it's over a thousand dollars.
0: Mm, because you have to stay on site. The cheapest room is five hundred bucks. The green fees five hundred bucks. You haven't eaten yet. No, they'll I mean, ask you're not you to going ta- to eat those
1: prices. No, that's
0: right. They'll they'll ask you to take a caddy, who will then have to and be you tipped. Have to have a cart or a cart. That's exactly right. So there's all these sort of trimmings around the game, isn't there? That mm. that don't mm. really improve the game, but the business of golf gets in the way of golf in so many ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it's all about money. It's yeah, so the whole thing. And here's two of us who've made the bulk of our livelihood out of the golf yeah. in some form, complaining about the business of golf. I can see the irony in it. Don't send me emails about that, people. I can see the irony, but it is—it <laughs> is also oh. the truth. Has the game, from time to time, or is all of that nonsense we've talked about there, has it disappointed you, Jane? I feel as though—I feel as though there's something there where there's. I don't know, do, do you feel like you underachieved perhaps with your game or are there – are you like me? Are you not comfortable at the fancy clubs? Do you always feel – I've always felt like there's a class structure almost in golf.
1: Um, oh, yeah, there is, but I ignore that. I mean, I lived through it where you supposedly supposedly hobnob with all these uh, superstars of business and uh, other sports and it meant nothing to me because I wasn't really interested. But – it, there's a lot of that that goes on and I, I just think look it's a game go out and play play with your friends enjoy the views you know you go along the coast and play some of those courses it's fantastic but mm-hmm. I don't like politics of clubs I've stayed right out of it to the best I could um, well, and would, people, it, it, there's always something
0: yeah well people and would try to poison. drag you in wouldn't they James you're Jane Sorry? Locke. You must know better. You're Jane Locke. You've played on the LPGA. You must come and you must know what we should do here as a club or as a committee. We expect you to know more about the game
1: than well, everybody. It's the exact opposite. Yeah. They, that's what they don't tap into. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be the first professional golfer, male or female, to say that. They don't tap into the people at golf clubs that have got the expertise. They they just get on the board because they're, you know, Head of their own business, an accountant, or um, a builder, whatever, uh, and they think they know what to do with the golf courses. And they never ask, never ask the people. Mm. They give you a token question here and there, but they just, you know. Once the, I always found that committees. Once you get on a committee, suddenly the personality changes. It's almost like a uniform.
0: I wonder if golf is different for players like you, Jane, and those who've got a real ability for it than for those like me who are terrible at it but play it for most of their lives regardless. We must have a different attitude, mustn't we? If you were awful at golf, would you play?
1: Well, that's the other consideration for now. I don't play and I don't expect to play. Well, I do, but as well as I used to, there's no way. Do. Age comes into mm-hmm. it, lack of play, lack of preparation, uh, lack of commitment. So I would not be interested in playing rubbish. I think it was Dave, um, he's the Scottish golfer, he said he quit golf because he was rubbish at it. He got sick of playing badly. I can't think of his name. He's Scottish anyway. Probably, uh, and that's you my know. attitude. I, you know, I'd rather give it up than play rubbish. Mm-hmm. But everyone's level of rubbish is different.
0: That's true, of course, yeah.
1: And, you know, some of my friends said, but I'd love to play your rubbish. And I said, well, you can have it, but I don't (laughs) That's
0: right. The 10 marker looks great to the 20 marker, don't Mm, it? If if I could just play like that 10 marker, I'd be happy. And the 10 marker looks at the 5 marker and thinks, good Lord, why do Mm. I bother?
1: Well, I use the analogy for a lot of my clients. I always encourage them to go to the women's tournaments. And this is the men I'm talking to. Uh Go and watch the women professionals when they're down here, and you'll be able to relate to them better than you'll be able to relate to the men because they're so way out of their stratosphere. And the other thing too is, you go to the men's tournament, or the women's, same thing. Go to the practice fairway, and they're not the caddies aren't wearing their names of their players yet, their bibs,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're all hitting his soup shots, and they all look like Tiger Woods in terms of what they're playing. You get them on the first tee, and there's the difference suddenly there's the superstars and then there's the also ends But on the practice fairway, they all look the same. And all
0: hit it. What's that about, Jane?
1: Does that's that, between the ears. Yeah.
0: Is that ultimately the key to golf, top-level golf?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nerves. That's that's when people, you know, you get to an age, nerves must play a part because, you know, young kids have got no nerves. Um, but the older you get, the more you think about it, the more you know what can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um. But when you're playing on tour, the courage of your convictions and the belief in yourself has to be as good as the shots you can play on the course, I mean, uh, the practice fairway, sorry. So if you can't translate it from the practice fairway to the golf course on a high level on a regular basis, then it has to be between the ears.
0: Big shots at big moments are really only Mm. ever played by... The very best, aren't they? They're the shots mm. we remember, you know, the, the yeah. Hogan 1-18 at Marion, and some of the shots the Tigers hit over the years, the highlight reel of, of just specific shots at specific moments that m- yeah. most players would have balked at the challenge perhaps. Mm. Even, even his peers would perhaps balk at the challenge, not necessarily because they don't have the talent to hit the shot, just because the potential for disaster if it goes wrong sort of takes over. How would you rate your own career, Jane? Because particularly given your amateur career, and we know that here in Australia we have limited – you don't know how good you are until you get with the very best. That's one of the reasons most people want to go on. If you've got any talent, you want to play in America and all those sorts of things because you want to see how you stand up against the best. There's no way to know unless you actually go out there and mix it with them. How would you rate your career? It looks on paper like perhaps an underachiever.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. I think I achieved everything I wanted as an amateur and possibly more. Uh, as a professional, uh, I had a couple of good years, but I was never, you know, I got into the top 20, top 15, but I was never in the category of a true star. I was, I was a player and I made a good living, but I was never a superstar. Did you want it? Oh, well,
0: if you're over there do it, you may as well. But, but did you want it? It's one thing to say, well, yeah, you know, if you're over there, you may as well. But did you want it? Was it your life goal? I'm guessing that when you were an amateur, that winning the Australian Women's Amateur was all you had in mind at some point in life. It drove everything. Did that same thing happen to you as a professional or did the game lose something when you turned professional for you personally?
1: Um, well, ter- I turned professional late like I think I was 24 or something, Mm -hmm. and that is late. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe the best had gone, I don't know. The very best, I don't know. Um, It would have been nice to be able to be there in the top ten, but that didn't happen. I got, I think, low teens and I was pretty happy about that. But the dynamics change every season and, to be honest, the one big factor is the length. Most of those players were very, very big hitters. I'm not a big hitter, never was, and I used to, when we'd have practice rounds of courses, there was another, I can't think of her name, uh, girl there that always looked out for me and I looked out for her to have practice rounds with because we both were short hitters. We just couldn't bear the you know, practising with these players that were bombing it past us all the time. You get that enough during the actual tournaments. Mm-hmm. I mean, some courses, um, I remember one where you had to tee off over, it was a huge carry of water. I mean, I'm not short short, but I'm not long. And I, could, I just kept plonking it into the water because I couldn't get over it. And I talked to the officials about it during year round and they agreed that if they could, they could, they would put a T because I wasn't the only one going in the water, but there was nowhere to put the T. So, you know, that, that gets to you. You get a bit sick of that.
0: That's an awful place to be as a professional too, isn't it? I mean.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: That's it. Yeah. Indeed. Did you try to get longer? We know that's a mistake that a lot of professionals have fallen for, particularly in the more modern era, chasing distance and losing everything else that makes them what they are.
1: Well, the funny thing is, and it goes back to equipment, um, I hit the ball longer now than I did then. Wow. And it's nothing to do with me getting stronger, I assure you. Yeah. yeah. It's the equipment. It's yes. the balls, the shafts, you know.
0: Giant heads um, on the drivers in
1: particular. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's been a huge change, obviously, in professional golf. It almost always comes up on this show at some point, as I think it does. <laughs> if you have a, have a golf discussion, what did you notice about? What clubs did you play when you were sort of at your peak? Did you have any sort of a club contract or?
1: Um, well, there's two things. I had. Uh, I don't think it was a contract. Oh, it might have been with Spalding, uh, Australia. Mm-hmm. I used their clubs for many years, and they're all steel shafted, laminated clubs. Mm-hmm. And then in Japan, um, uh Hiro Honma, oh, he, nice. he rang me or had his secretary ring me and asking me to, would I like a set of his clubs? Well, they were the latest, greatest. So I went into um, his shop come factory in Tokyo and it's just outside of Tokyo, the factory, and he made up a set of uh, graphite shaft, my first set of graphite shafted clubs, and they were just beautiful, mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. And, uh, you know, he had them initialed for me. And, but they made such a difference because I could create more club head speed because they were nice and whippy. And, and that's where the distance came from, a bit more lighter, distance.
0: And yeah, yeah, technology's all. Of course, it is relative, the distance, isn't it, Jane? So if you're getting longer... Well, those girls who were bombing it past you before, they're getting longer too, aren't they? So do we yeah. achieve anything or are we just on a on a treadmill here of the same oh, kind I of
1: – look, it's a, on a personal level. You just feel better about hitting it longer and not worry about what they're doing. Right. Um, you just think, oh, that's better. And I can remember playing with um, – oh, just socially at a, oh, a sort of a function for Berta Cheney for all the years of golf at Barwon Head's all the junior promotion girls, which is what we were, we all went to this and we all played golf before the dinner. And Sandra McCall, Louise Bryce, myself and somebody else, we all teed off the first hole and we were playing. And as we're all, after about seven or eight holes, Sandy, who was a very big hitter, much longer than me, I was out driving her all the time because I had modern clubs and she didn't. Right. So it, she decided to get some new clubs. I was going to say,
0: I, I, bet she had new, I bet she had modern clubs by that afternoon.
1: Uh, probably, yeah. She did have something, I think a driver or a couple of fairway right. woods that were new, but I think she still had the plastic covers on the top. Oh, <laughs> uh, is it? We did things much more laid back in those days.
0: Is it the right focus for the game? I keep coming back to I'm not sure people understand what I'm trying to say here, but we have enough – bashing sports in the world, I think, mm-hmm. Whether the whole point of it is to get as big and strong as you possibly can and bash whatever it is further or higher or harder than, than you're used to. I'm not sure that do, – does golf need to become that? It feels like that's what it's becoming. Do you sense that?
1: Well, that's the way it's going, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I like watching golf on TV but haven't been doing much for this year. Um I prefer to watch the golf that we play. They play here in this country Mm -hmm. because, for instance, you know, you get your Royal Melbourne Greens and you get the run on the fairways and the bunkers, whereas American golf is you hit it up in the air and it stops on the green because they're all so well watered and they don't get scungy lies except when they're deep in the rough. Everything's manicured. Um, i personally love to see a golf course, a, a good golf course, not a golf course because it can't but with no bunkers. Mm.
0: No bunkers?
1: No bunkers. Interesting. Because I reckon you get a lot of people that enjoy that.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, of course, the irony of bunkers, in fact, the irony of the modern game is that all of the things that make the game too difficult for so many of us don't bother the better player almost
1: at all. Mm. The thing about the bunkers, though, for women, the top, women, I'm not talking professional, I'm talking the top sort of single figure markers that uh, I've come across over the years, the worst part of their game is bunker play.
0: And why do you think that is?
1: A couple of reasons. The bunkers are now getting deeper and deeper. It requires strength rather than just skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the technique, I mean, you can see the men, they just do this, you know, or backswing and They've got the power to get finesse it through and get the backspin, you know. Most women can't do that.
0: Mm, trying to think of they, sort of great. They look
1: – a single-figure marker in yeah. a bunker sometimes looks like a 20 or 30 marker.
0: Yeah. And, of course, the 20 or 30 markers enjoy that quite a bit because it's not often yes. you get to see the single-figure marker look quite so. <laughs> looks like a Wally in a
1: bunker. That's right. Yeah. So
0: so sort of out of their depth. Did you watch the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne last year
1: at all? Ah. Uh, I think, where was I? I, th- mm, I was
0: away. I'm sure I was overseas. Well, wherever you were, it was an inferior place to, de- to be because Tiger Woods put on a masterclass at Royal Melbourne.
1: Oh, I did see, sorry, the last two days. Magnificent. As
0: a magnificent. Uh, speaking as you are, Jane, had you been there and seen that, as all of us who were, can leave this planet happy that, mm-hmm. We've seen something truly special—a truly special golf course and a truly special golfer.
1: Oh, he, he's amazing! He's um, I went to the Presidents Cup in the previous one they had, uh, and vowed and declared never to go again because we sat there's so many people. I was going to say if you didn't if team.
0: you didn't like crowds, you probably picked the wrong event to go and to.
1: And yes. but, but also it took it took them an hour, nearly an hour to play the tenth hole, which is a, a reachable par four yeah. from your tee. Yeah. No,
0: no thanks. Didn't Dustin Johnson hit it over the back, though, and, and when when he picked up having conceded the hole, he'd already hit it seven times? That's one of the great joys of the game. Isn't it? He could
2: <laughs> flap is, it up there it with is. a two
0: iron, and yet, look at that. He's Seven shots later, he's telling the other, like, no, come on, we'll go to the next tee.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We've
0: yeah. made a bit of a, a bit. – You've of got a, to
1: be creative on our courses more so than I think on the most of the tour courses in America.
0: There's more ground game, isn't there, which really mm. does test – you, mm. And I think Ernie Ole's put it so beautifully. You, you, your target you know, is not always the hole. But mm, that's you, right. you need to hit yeah. it there to get it to go there. And yeah. that demands yeah. both imagination and execution.
2: Yeah.
0: Because when you hit away from the hole to try to get it close to the hole, if you don't execute properly, you can really make a fool of yourself. <laughs> yeah. you only got to hit it a bit thin, and if it doesn't catch that slope, it ends up 30 yards further away than where you started and that's where yeah. you were aiming. And so that's yep. one of the joys, isn't it, is that testing all of those elements sort oh, of of golf. Is. Are we just old fuddy-duddies?
1: Oh, that's what some people would say, but, I mean, it's a bit like anything. The new normal will change again. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll it'll circle. Things will – how do I put it uh, – The way they're building golf courses these days, they're too tough. Uh, Most of them are much tougher on the women. But there's a course on the border in Victoria and New South Wales, and I can't think of which one it is, that recently, in the last year or so, they met with the members and said, right, because they're an old membership, Mm -hmm. they filled in I don't know how many bunkers and they made the course much more playable. And I think that's what's going to happen. It happened – You know, at Huntingdale, my club, um, when they redesigned it years ago, there were bunkers on certain holes that were ridiculous, gone. Same at Kingston Heath, gone. I mean, when you put bunkers in the middle of fairways, it's ridiculous.
0: Are we going to disagree now, Jane? Probably. I think we might. Should we do that or should we just move on?
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't care.
0: Isn't the point of a bunker in the middle of the fairway to make – People to make the golfer think. I mean, if you, if you, are you, well, you said you're a reader. Have you read much in the way of sort of golf architecture over the years? Those who've written about course design and its sort of importance and its role.
1: I've read a fair bit, mainly uh, the female course architects. Um, unfortunately, she died last year or the year before. Who, who was that? Ah, Which- uh, the American. Her husband's.
0: Oh, Alice Die.
1: Alice. Yeah, yep.
0: Pete and Alice die.
1: And um, to me, you're supposed to aim for the middle of the fairway because that's where it is. When they put bunkers in the middle of the fairways, they're not allowing you room on the right or the left. Or if they are, it's not very much. Or, or, or expecting you to lay up or carry. Well, women can't do that.
0: Or generally done properly... Bunkers in the middle of fairways will generally have a narrower side and a wider side. Is, there, is it the twelfth hole at Kingston Heath, the par five, which has a centre line bunker? Uh,
1: well, try the eleventh for start
0: 11th. Yeah, I, I don't pretend to be so smart. I've only ever been to Kingston Heath when it's been used for
1: tournament. No, that's right. But the eleventh was the one that I'm referring to. Par five, because the twelfth is easier than it's a par four. 10s right. a par three. 11s a par four. Slight dog leg right, and they had bunkers. Uh, on the right, an original one, but they had another one almost central. Now, if, the only place you could play is up the left side, but they're straight into the tea tree. You only had about 5 or 10, 15 yards max. That's, that's not golf for the average golfer. Because they set the courses up for a certain amount of carry. Now, Mike would have told you how they do that, and you'd know anyway. Um, 220 metres from the tee is the bunker or whatever, something like that. Well, that doesn't work for women. They can't hit. So they've got to lay out, and suddenly a par four becomes a par five because they can't get the value or the potential, the length of their drive, because even, there's a stupid bunker in the way. Or even a par six, uh,
0: depending on... Sorry? <laughs> or even a par six, depending yeah, on what's happening up, yeah. towards, up towards the green. It, it, well, it's not really... Golf, uh, carriers, uh, this, this ability to now carry the ball huge distances in the air is probably the biggest fundamental change to the game.
1: Well, that's great for
0: it seems to me. the
1: average bloke.
0: If you can do it,
1: but the average woman is never going to do that. Hmm. I mean, I'm probably out of date in terms of my stats here, but going back quite a few years, the average length a woman would hit her five iron was a hundred yards. Yards. Wow. And look, a lot that would have changed and increased, but not much. No. So it's. You make golf courses for women easier, and it won't affect the men because you can change the tee positions. And tees are cheap to make. Uh, It'll Love to be a lot better. Uh, Duncan Andrews, who co-owner of Thirteenth Beach mm-hmm. and the Dunes, mm-hmm. and several others as well, mm-hmm. uh, he when he set up the idea of the golf courses there with his partners, he said, "I want to make the course friendly." For women, because if the women enjoy it, the men will come back. If the women don't enjoy it, the women won't let the men come back. Hmm. They want to go somewhere else. And that's how his philosophy.
0: Hence your works. involvement with yep. with helping to set the cause. Well, that's disgustingly pragmatic on his part. <laughs> some, at some <laughs> oh, level, that's offensive. It would be all about
1: money, about from it, Duncan, for sure.
0: It's very, <laughs> it's very pragmatic. There's no question about that. So, what was your experience like then? So. You laid out most of the, let's call them women's teas, did you, at 13th Beach, both courses or?
1: Yeah. Um, Tony Cashmore's the designer and a brilliant designer at that, I might add, and he had his ideas of where the women's teas would be and on a lot of them I, I tend to agree but on quite a lot, mm-hmm. probably half on both courses, the, the tees weren't in the right spots in terms of access to a par three green or uh, the ability to avoid a bunker, having a chance to carry a bunker. So on like on one par four, he wanted the tee back there. He said, I want it to be a test. And I said, well, there's no test if you're making a woman hit it into the scrub short of the bunkers. Put the tee up further on the high side on the left and then you, you can ask the question, the woman, can I go over the bunker? Oh, I think I can. And it's such a thrill to see women being mm. able to carry bunkers like the uh, second on Royal Melbourne West. You can carry those bunkers on the right if the wind is suitable. So I, t- I put those tees where I best thought, you know, the women had, um, have a chance and a choice, not, not be beaten about the head every time they get up there and go, oh, it's too long, it's too far, it's too hard. And on the creek course, they had a creek running through it. It was a dry creek. Um, But where the problem was, one of the tees, and I think I was responsible for this, put you in a position where you could only play it to one side so you stayed short of the creek, which was on a diagonal aspect of the hole, so that you could then play it down the next. But invariably, uh, downwind, you could get over it, but... Again, the average player still had to hit three woods in there. Right. And a par five, the green's supposed to be receptive to a short club. Par fours, a medium. And par threes, a mix. I, that was a simple formula when I was growing up.
0: And just to back up a bit, what, what sort of reaction did you get? Did you get your way with where you wanted the women's tees placed at 13th Beach, and what sort of response did you get?
1: I got my way. mm mm-hmm. Um, From when I don't think Tony was overly thrilled.
0: You, you're probably on the right track then. If <laughs> if, if there's a point <laughs> disagreeing, there's a good chance you're on the right track.
1: Yeah. Um, but I worked on the premise that I was trying to do it for the average female. Mm-hmm. And when they had the Vic Open there, the professional women were, they only used about two of our tees and quite rightly because they're bigger, stronger, longer. Of course. They're, well, they're, so they're those, those tees were for the average golfer. Yeah. And I have had, and I'm very happy with the feedback that I've gotten, and from a lot of people who don't know that I actually had a hand in the tees, saying how much they really like 13th Beach courses because they're playable. Well, that's encouraging. See, Bowen Heads is the same. Yeah, very playable. It's old fashioned, and that's what we, you know, you love about it. Wonderful. It doesn't bang you around the ears. Indeed.
0: What do we need to do? to get more women interested in golf, apart from just be nice and welcoming. That would be a pretty good start. That would be a start. Yeah, as, as blokes, it would pay to remember to occasionally <laughs> be a little bit chivalrous and share. as and, mm. um, well,
1: blokes are okay. It's just there's, there's a small number that think men are here to rule and that's the end of the discussion. Uh, Will that change genera-
0: generationally? Do you think that'll change, Jane? We'll come back to the question about what we need to do. I do hope you think- so.
1: Um,
0: it has to, doesn't it? Just as well, an example, I know that the uh, elite players in the modern era, both girls and boys, men and women, mm-hmm. uh, share the same facilities, camps, coaches. and So sh- just just there, that's a huge difference, isn't it? And an important one because apart from anything, the boys learn some respect for the girls because they see, A, how hard they work and, B, how good they actually are. And I'm not sure that mm. was the case 20, 30 years ago.
1: Oh, no, no. Nothing like it. You never interacted with the men except at the Vic Open when we played uh, in the same field as the men, but not with them.
0: That didn't go down well either, did it?
1: No. With well, everybody. Ted Ball didn't really like the idea of being paired with me, so he didn't. <laughs> and why was but that? they were deliberately you, paired him with me.
0: Were you nasty to him or did He No, they...
1: he was he a was, uh, – I don't think he liked women playing golf. And his partner, Caddy, she was – they weren't very nice.
0: Did you? Did they pair you with him because they felt you could stand up for yourself?
1: No, it was publicity.
0: Or for publicity, because he'd said prior to the tournament, I think, that yeah. you, he didn't think yeah. it was right and therefore they had to find somebody who wasn't a shrinking violet. Yeah. And who do you go to when you don't want a shrinking violet? Well, Locke. She's your girl for that.
1: Mm, I think they did. I did get a few phone calls asking and I said, oh, I don't care.
0: Did you relish what? that in a way?
1: Not really because it wasn't very pleasant as opposed to the same tournament. One of the rounds was um, I played with uh, Billy Dunk in, at Huntingdale in that same tournament and he was just lovely.
0: Mm, you couldn't find a nicer guy, could you?
1: Absolutely lovely. And, you know, that was the day I think I shot a, a, a course record that wasn't recognised but that's another story and he's He was just so encouraging and nice, and I thought well, there's a difference to yesterday 's pairing or whatever
0: <laughs> yeah did you feel like you were because um, I think there was also there was a i 'm making air quotes here there was a a, a rivalry or a uh, some animosity with Jan Stevenson, which I think you said wasn 't <laughs> really correct.
1: Uh, That was blown out. Blown out of proportion. Uh, We're a different generation almost, Uh almost. Um, I hardly knew her, but I don't think Jan liked the fact that when she was in Australia uh, that she didn't get all the attention and all the publicity, Mm -hmm. and particularly when we had the the Jan versus Jane in inverted commas at Metro, she hated that because they were all on my side. Well, boo-hoo, I'm from Melbourne. You know, get over it. It was So she is a controversial person in her own, but, you know, as a superstar of the game, why would she let that bother her? And do you, you know, think she, she, got she did paid well enough? genuinely let it bother her? Oh, I think so. She, I beat her by I don't know how many shots.
0: Oh, that's awful. That's not much fun, is it? It's for me. Well, it's for you. Did, did you have a better relationship? I mean, she's been somewhat contentious, Jan. I feel that... In fairness, quite rightly, she feels she hasn't had the recognition in Australia that she probably deserves, not probably, that she does deserve, and I think that's that's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't
1: disagree. I think it was the times. See, Carrie Webb coming at a much later date with all the modern technology, uh, TV audiences, you know, all the stuff. Um, Jan was over there. And very well known over there hmm. and lauded over there but over and treated there, like a queen, is, yes. which is quite right. She was a superstar.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but she didn't get to play here. There was nothing here to play in. Yeah. So what the people knew about her here wasn't what she was used to over there. Uh, you've got to remember before her was Margie Masters who went as a professional and she was from Melbourne, from Woodlands Golf Club. And, you know. No-one ever knew her.
0: No. And I guess if you're Jan Stevenson and you're a superstar in America, you would imagine that what's happening back home in Australia is that thousands of young girls are taking up golf in droves because they want to be like you. Mm. And when you come home, all you're asked about is this upstart kid from Melbourne, this lock woman, (laughs) who's supposed to be – the next big thing. You could understand how that might rank a little Oh, yeah, because
1: I was nobody compared yeah. to her in, on the world stage. Yeah. Big fish and Little Pond. Yeah. Um, but she was in my hometown. Yeah. yeah and I'd right. won most of my tournaments in Australia as an amateur and Melbourne. And as I said, the publicity in those days was – you'd have to see how much publicity there was. You wouldn't believe it. It, it was ridiculous. It. Yeah. Um, I had other sports – Associations netball coming to me asking me what they should do differently. Well, now the boots on the other foot, isn't it? Well and truly, Netball's just boom!
0: Yeah, well and truly, yes, indeed, mm. indeed.
1: So I think Jan's ego was a bit too big at that stage, she she would have been smarter to keep her mouth shut, and people would have barracked for her, you know, madly.
0: Yeah, and did you ever um, repair that relationship or develop a relationship with her no. after that, even when you went? To I a never operation? really
1: saw her much, no. and that's the other thing when you're on tour. Uh, your tea times are staggered in accordance with your ranking. Uh-huh. And um, I hardly ever saw Jan at all. In fact, I saw more of her that week at uh, Metro than I'd, I think I saw my, the rest of my career.
0: There you go. Clearly, you took some satisfaction from the end of all of that, uh, as you should have too, by the sound uh, of it. I,
1: I couldn't see any point in feeling sorry for her. She's making a tonne of money. Oh, no, She's very right. successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, don't begrudge the hometown the chance to barrack for someone from the hometown. It's that's like right, football.
0: and 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 the great champions, the Bobby Locks and the probably like, actually that's a bad example, probably not Bobby Lock, but no. you hear <laughs> you, you hear famous stories of of the really great pros who would always say you you don't ever beat the club pro. Well, you never no. beat them too badly. You mentioned the magic word in Australian women's golf, Kari, and I mentioned that yeah. we'd had her on this very program. She had her ups and downs with the press, particularly in the early years, and I think she had a certain personality which wasn't necessarily suited to being a superstar no. early on. Mm. Unlike Jan, of course, Kari is a god to a whole generation of aspiring young Australian women. And I wonder whether that's just because of those reasons that we spoke about then. Just then, with just the exposure,
1: she's totally different personality to Jan. She's mm-hmm. quiet, mm-hmm. humble, and mm-hmm. that was taken as being, um, what's the word? Grumpy or whatever, arrogant, uh, superior. And she wasn't.
0: Yeah, no, she's not. I mean, not.
1: she's normal. She she's mm-hmm. lost her temper a few times. Well, who hasn't?
0: Yeah, you encountered her when she was quite young.
1: I did. I did. We had, uh, Mercedes Match Play Championship at Kingston Heath. What year are we doing? And mm, I'd come back from the States. I'd, I'd basically retired. Mm-hmm. I wasn't involved in golf and I was teaching, so we're talking early 90s. She was still an amateur, so you could figure it out from that, I think. And um, I had to play her in a match and I've always said to her, Um, Because she was a budding superstar then. Mm -hmm. And I've I've said to her over the years that um, I was the last person to beat Kari Webb in match play. And I I said I'm very chuffed about that because I did beat her that day. But she was having a bad day and I wasn't. Uh
0: And could you see something in her even though she was having a bad day?
1: Yeah, because she was trying too hard. She didn't have to. She could (laughs) have walloped me, but she was trying too hard because she wanted it so badly that she wasn't prepared to wait. She was in a hurry.
0: Which no doubt held her in good stead at various times further on and probably oh, held her absolutely. back at times as well.
1: No, yeah. ah, she, she's best player this country's ever seen, I think, yeah. bar none.
0: Yeah, extraordinary. Did she know who you were?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: She's one who seems to have a grasp on the history of the game. She's always talking – Uh, extremely fondly and and with great pride about the founders of the LPGA. She's genuinely invested in something Mm -hmm. bigger than her own game, isn't she?
1: Mm, mm. Well, it's the way she looks after, you know, the Australian amateurs that Mm -hmm. she's had over there on tour, in tournaments, you know. Mm -hmm. She's done the right thing. Yeah. Uh, She didn't have to either. That's not part of the deal.
0: She's big enough to do whatever she wants, and nobody could ever criticise her for it, but she genuinely sees something. In fact, I asked her straight up, and she said that this was definitely the case. She actually feels like now is the start of the most important period of her career
1: Good because
0: on. her influence yeah. won't be just on her. No. It's about this whole generation of up-and-coming players, not just Australian players, but women more generally. She, like you, probably would have been a cricketer had that been an option.
1: Yeah, I would have. As I said, these those opportunities... Mm did not exist. Mm. You could, I mean, I loved baseball. That was a dream. I just loved playing baseball. But there was nothing, mm. nothing. Once, once you know, you left school, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. these days the, the kids have got a hell of a lot more choice and they're making it too and that's part of the reason why we're losing or not gaining our females. Yeah. And the way they're treated in clubs, the kids, they get ticked off for their dress. And yeah. uh,
0: Did you bump up against a lot of that? You were a member at Huntingdale. Your dad was a member at Huntingdale. So, of course, as you said, you got into Huntingdale a little bit early. Or because you were and had success quite early, did that bring a certain level of cash that protected you from a lot of that?
1: Um, I'm not sure. Um, even after I'd had a successful career, you still get the – the chauvinistic attitudes—it's still there. Hmm. Uh, being successful male compared to successful female, are two different entities. Um, but as I said, I ignored most of it.
0: What do we do about it, though, do- Should we do something about it? Is that just how well, the world is? Well, unless you is? can
1: change the mindset of the majority of club mem- members. Uh, especially the blokes, unfortunately, I don't know what you can do about it. Yeah. See, you can't realise either. I, I sort of don't like that, but I can only speak for the clubs that I am involved with and I can assure you that is the case. And then if that's the case for just the ones that I'm involved, there must be other clubs in that situation.
0: And if that's the case for you with all that you've done in the game, how must it be for somebody who's an unknown entity or new to the game?
1: The new ones get scared off. Yeah. You know, I've I've seen women who've joined clubs and been treated so badly, mm. on course particularly, you know, being hit up on, being yelled at, being told to hurry, uh, abused, you know, in stupid ways, that they've just left and they go and play their golf at the public courses with their girlfriends.
0: Or even worse, go and play something else instead like tennis or
1: you know? Well, time's another factor, too. That, yes. You know, everyone's, well, was in this state, uh, very time poor. Uh, and You haven't got time. The, the people just don't have time. They have children. They have jobs. Most women those, these days have either full-time or part-time jobs as opposed to, you know, 30, 40 years ago. They could be looked after and supported by their working husband and then they'll play their golf. So, certainly, so, I mean, there's a lot more issues yeah. involved as well.
0: And they're not just issues affecting women either, in fairness. They're affecting uh, everybody, especially some of those ones you've pointed. Do you know there are blokes listening, Jane, who simply straight up do not believe what you're saying?
1: No, I know, but that's okay. Um, I know a lot of young men with families and they can't – they'd like to play golf, but they can't because they're working all the week and they've got three kids at home and a wife – and rightly, you know, she would like to have his company and help with the kids on the weekend. And that's another bugbear. I'd like to see nine holes. You know, when we've had course rec- uh, reconstruction works over the years, the course was reduced to 12 holes. And you know what? That's a perfect size game. Mm.
0: Oh, you've, you've, you've a, that sounds you here, Jane, is a can of worms opening. And it's you that's opened it. But they
1: used to – wasn't it originally only nine or 12 holes?
0: Prestwick was 12 holes where they played the first open. uh, was only 12 holes. This 18-hole thing is –
1: I don't know where that came from.
0: um, St Andrews uh, was 22. They reduced it by four holes to make 18, and that just became sort of the standard. And, of course, the only thing you can divide 18 by is two, and so you get nine, and that's where we kind of – and so, in fact, there's a fantastic website that you would love by a – Iceland golf course architect called Edwin Roald, who's a fantastic bloke. And I've got to tell you, the the golf in Iceland looks absolutely amazing. Really, really incredible landscapes, these volcanic sort of deposits just sticking up out of the ground, out of nowhere. Oh. So wonderful, right. wonderful, wonderful stuff. But he's dedicated his life to trying to answer this question. He's actually got a website called... Why 18 holes? And there's some really I'll interesting stuff on there. And, yes, he's a – in fact, I must get him. I might even get him on this show one day. He's a really interesting guy. And, and he's a golf course, course
1: architect in Iceland.
0: Do. Wow, goodness me. Yes.
1: Pierre Nielsen.
0: Well, that's an. In, it's interesting you should say that because I've started thinking about the – it's not my go. <laughs> this sounds ridiculous. I'm actually not that interested in the playing of the game. Mm. Uh, for the most part. It's the least yeah. interesting aspect of golf to me. I'm much more interested yeah. in sort of the people and courses and and the sure. thing about golf, what is it that, that grabs people about this game? But Pia Nilsson is one that I would like to – have you met Pia? Did you work with Pia her? Pia
1: and I were very good friends. We played the mini tour together in the right. States before we tried for our cards. And uh, she, when she go back to Sweden for a break, I, I'd take her car and oh. drive around to the mini tournaments on the mini tour and when we were qualifying for, in Florida, I think, oh no, it was in um, Texas, in Houston for the main tour, she would always be writing in a book, a notebook, things that, that she wanted to do in golf. Now, she didn't make, the, she didn't get her card, but she went back to Sweden. Boy, did she make a difference. Well,
0: <laughs> yes, I think anybody who's not familiar with the story, work with a certain Annika Sorenstam uh, for quite some time, yeah, and yeah. wrote that amazing book, was it called, Par, what's it called? Uh, ah,
1: Par 54.
0: It's this notion that you could bird, there's no reason why you can't birdie every hole. Yeah, something uh, like that. Was, was the, the essential idea, which makes a whole lot of sense until you think about it and then it makes no sense, uh, obviously, at all. What do we do then about the game, Jane, and particularly about uh, is should golf be trying to attract more women? I think it should. I think you can make a case. It should, it.
1: but I don't think they're going about it the right way which right. is what I said to you earlier. Yeah, so what should if, we do? Well, for instance, let stop interfering with women having the women's committee because women have lots of different events during the year at all golf clubs. The men only have a few and they're happy with that. But they're saying, oh, we've got to make it equal, this equal opportunity. And there's a very fine line here. Equal opportunity, no, we'll have the championships all at the same time. there's will always be on a weekend because we don't want to dis courage uh, working women. We want to want them to be able to play. Our particular club, we only had, I think two working women who would have been eligible to play in the championships, any of them, A B or C grade. And uh, the women used to have the championship over two weeks, qualifying Tuesday, Thursday, uh, quarterfinals on the Friday. And then the following week they had the semi-finals and the final and a huge lunch afterwards, which is the highest attending attendance lunch they have all year, including the Christmas lunch. Women do go in for that sort of thing. They combined it, like a lot of clubs have done over the last few years, with the men's championship qualifying. Oh, they did a mixture to appease the majority and have qualifying on weekdays and weekends. Problem. Difference in weather, mm-hmm. okay, and then they had the match play uh, sections all on the same days, and it was as slow as, <laughs> it was boring. There was no atmosphere, no lunch. They had, you know, a presentation out on the putting green with.
0: Under the old system that you outlined there, where which was. You know, clearly had some success. There was obviously some patience. Is anybody excluded from that? Who would is that the perfect system? I guess is what I'm asking. So we might have spot oh, one imperfect for another imperfect. Is that a possibility? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I'm I'm talking about each golf club is different.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For instance, Q is more the average in inverted commas housewife, you know. Uh, golf club with a few younger ones, not many. Mm. Uh, whereas Huntydale, the whole pennant team is made up of about th- three-year-olds, and therefore they've got school, or the slightly older ones have got work, and so it has to be that way. I, I don't argue the toss there, yeah. but when you've got a club like Kew, and there are several other clubs in the, in metropolitan Melbourne, the working, the best working model at the moment. Is have what they've always had. Now, if you see a change in the demographic of uh, age group and working women, I totally agree. But you'll find we found a lot of people didn't enter, and they probably wouldn't have entered this year if, if and when they're going to have them, because they don't want to play it. That was, it was a to me it was a, from a female point of view it was a disaster.
0: Yeah, did they take feedback about that? I just wonder, I wonder if you can ever get this stuff right without getting it wrong first, sort of like oh, what look, we discussed. There with are the pros Vucos and
1: cons. Yeah. I, I don't argue the toss there. Yeah. There are definitely pros and cons for both. But to go so, cut and dried rather than try it out and tinker, it, I don't think enough thought went into it. Uh, I, the feedback, um, when when they asked for feedback... It's like questionnaires that are very well-worded so that you can't really put the answer that you want to put. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a, did you think this was a, uh, a the best way to run the championship? Box one, fantastic. Box two, pretty good. And box three, yeah, that seemed to work okay. No, box four, it was a disaster. That's the sort of feedback system. And that's what, you know... You worry about because uh, it's a, it's just hard to balance. We've got about uh, 300 or so women. Or, I don't know, look, I'm not sure, but we've got enough women in the club that, you know, they enjoy their golf. They're not opposed to change. They're just be opposed to being told
2: uh-huh.
1: without the consultation, and that's where the issues are at most clubs. There's no consultation. You will do it this way you're not going to have a women's committee. Oops, yes, we are. So,
0: well. You'd hate to be the one in charge when you're try, trying to, because, <laughs> try, of course, you can never get it right. You can never win. No, no matter what you do, you can never win. Well, you and, can't please all, all of them, All the people. people, that's right. You know that and I know that.
1: But uh, there should be a balance pleasing both males and females and not just dictating everything towards the male yes. system. Men and women are different. In, in golf, it's a huge, it's a big difference.
0: Perhaps that's perhaps that's where we get it wrong jane this notion of i've spoken to christian hamilton about this the inclusion officer there at at golf australia and he has this (laughs) sort of great little chart or a little image that he shows you of you know the difference the differences between equal and same and equal access versus just equality and there's a lot of stuff around it's a much more complex gender politics is a much more complex thing than just well if everybody has exactly the same thing then everybody must be equal because the same thing doesn't necessarily work for everybody, does it? So,
1: no.
2: It's not as I mean, you as look simple. at
1: some, a certain golf club in New South Wales or Sydney and, you know, a proposal was put to the board by a member of the board, a female member of the board. Women, we can get more women to the club if we can get them time slots on Saturday. No, not going to happen. No, not having women on Saturdays. So it starts at the club's.
0: Absolutely, and and look, the stupidity of that is just staggering, and there, there's mm. there's no sensible case to be made for that. <sighs> well, clearly we've solved most of the problems, Jane. If only the rest of the world would take the time to listen to us.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, that, nothing will change. This is that's my belief. Is this after uh,
0: sixty six years on the planet? This is the bleak outlook that you've come to. Is it that this is well, the way it is? I've
1: been waiting. I've been waiting. Uh, you know, fifty of them.
0: Yeah. Well, you've been trying, haven't you, to change yeah, it?
1: For- yeah. To no avail.
0: Do you get to a point where you're just tired of having the discussions?
1: Uh, You know, I've got friends that want to talk about it all the time, all the travails of the golf clubs they belong to, and I just go, been there, done that, heard it all, same answer. Nothing's going to change. Oh, yes, that eventually changed. And I said, well, when I was 19, they said that too. Nothing's happened. And believe it. the substance the not, in a positive sense has uh, happened yeah. wow. for women. It was going along nicely when they got rid of uh, the status of women being called uh, associates, associates to yeah. members, but they still, in emails occasionally and on timesheets, they call it ladies. It's not ladies, it's men and women, and that's important definition because the women fought for a long time to get that changed. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a stigma attached to that, saying that ladies like, mm, oh, yes, frail, weak. Well, <laughs> don't you remember, you might not, that the only option for golf clubs and bags were pink oh, years absolutely. and years ago?
0: No, hey, forget years and years ago. My cousin who passed just recently, tragically, same age as me, 52, mm. far too young, wonderful woman. um, as a youngster loved sport played cricket a lot of indoor cricket in particular it was very good she had a good yeah. arm and she could bat and all the rest of it later in life in her early 40s i'm going to say about 10 years ago she developed an interest in golf sort of out of nowhere so of course she turned to me and said oh you know i want to get into this golf business and i give off she went to a golf shop we're literally talking now not in the even in the 2000s in the 2010s oh, God. and she walked in and was immediately led to a corner mm. where there were pink Golf clubs and pink golf bags, and told this is the women's section you choose from here. It's like no one said to her, What are you playing off? She could have been a four marker. Yeah. She could have been better than the bloke trying to sell her the golf
1: clubs. Oh, it's degrading. When it I mean, you go into any pro shop and. Surprise,
0: surprise. She didn't become a golfer. Yeah.
1: Hey?
0: She didn't become a golfer. Oh,
1: <laughs> of duh. course. No kidding. Yeah. Don't blame her. I mean, pink.
0: Last question because we've really wandered off track here, though it has been. Sorry. Nice to, no, no, not at all. It's been nice to vent. Um, what's the future of Jane Locke and golf? You're and off at the moment? You're coming back to it? Have we lost you yeah, forever?
1: I will. Uh, when things get back to a reasonable normal, I'll go back to social golf, uh, as I said. But it won't be every, you know, be maybe once a week, if that. Uh-huh. but I'm just not interested in the, the way the courses have been set up, a lot of them, so I'd rather go out to the country, get in the car and just drive along the Murray and play the various courses, that sort of thing.
0: And do you know what's still wonderful about golf, Jane? Yeah, what? You, you can do that. You yes. Don't, you don't <laughs> like what it's like here, go somewhere else. And here's the thing, if you don't like the modern equipment, don't use it.
1: That's right.
0: Pull out a persimmon driver and use that. And that's the wonderful. You can choose to engage at this game at whatever level you like. And so I hope you rediscover the joy in the game, both for the game's sake and for your own. But you've made a magnificent contribution, a fabulous contribution to the game generally and to us here today. And it's been fantastic to catch up with you and talk to you. Thank you for taking some time.
1: Thank you, Rod.
0: Well, that's episode 30 done and dusted and a huge thanks to Jane for being so generous with her time. It really was a treat to finally get to know a little bit more about a player whose name I'd heard so often but I knew so precious little about. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and I hope you'll come back for episode 31 when we'll not only chat to Adelaide Golf Royalty Wade Ormsby but we'll also have a special announcement about the show. Very exciting stuff coming up. That's next time on The Thing about golf.